Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. So last week, if you don't know, we had a team of 25 people heading down to Pikeville County, Kentucky, uh, in the Appalachian Mountains for a missions trip. And uh, it, was, it was a pretty phenomenal experience. And it just so you know, just to give you some background on the area, um, Pikeville, Kentucky, where we were at, is one of the poorest counties in the United States. Uh, in fact, the county right next to Pikeville County is Owsley County, and it is the poorest county in all of the United States. And there's a, a variety of factors involved in that. One of those is that if you were, if you were 17 years old, you know, 25 years ago, and uh, you were in high school or you just finished high school, you could step right into a job making $70,000 a year in the mines. You didn't even have to have a high school degree. 17 years old, $70,000 a year working in the mines. And so, as is probably obvious, so many people took those jobs and had those opportunities, and it was a very uh, healthy, economically place. It was a place where you could work. Uh, but the coal industry has kind of collapsed in that area, and with it came an economic collapse. And the, the jobs have just never really been replaced in that region of the United States. And as a result of the economic collapse, the things that you would expect would be there. There's a lot of poverty. Uh, there's a lot of drug addiction uh, in that area. And you can, you can see that in a lot of ways. Now, now we were in the, the city of Pikeville, which is kind of the center of, of, of the county. Uh, and Pikeville is, is interesting. You, you pull into the city, and it, it looks like a, a city. It's got a Walmart and McDonald's and gas stations. And, you know, there's, there's areas where there's nice houses. And so at first glance, uh, when we pulled in, it's like, wh- why are we here? Uh, but it literally is just a stone's throw that you get into different parts of the county, and you can see uh, at the surface uh, the, the issues that we went down there to try and help address, the poverty, the addiction, the, the, the desperate need. Now, we served in several different areas. Uh, we went and did some construction work, uh, some painting, you know, some, some repairs. We worked on uh, a woman's house. Her deck had collapsed on her trailer, and it was, it was a mess. Uh, and we had a team, of, a team uh, that went and repaired her deck and fixed that patio. Uh, there was another woman's house, um, and she has, uh, she has a son who has cerebral palsy and is in a wheelchair, and she had a wheelchair ramp, and our team went and, and painted that and spruced that up, and she also had a section of her deck where there was a collapsing roof, and we repaired that. So just there were some construction things, but, but a majority of our trip was really spent on a lot of relational outreach things. We spent a lot of time in a local nursing home. And when I'm, when I'm talking about nursing home, I'm talking about not the place where you want to send grandma if you can afford it. I'm talking about a nursing home where people end up when they have no family and they have no money. Uh, just kind of the last stop for, for folks uh, towards the end of their lives. And honestly, not just folks at the end of their lives, just folks who are, have, for whatever reason, are in a place where they cannot care for themselves anymore. And as a result of that, within that nursing home, you know, you can see it. Uh, you can see how they're underfunded, they're underpeopled, and so we spent a lot of time in the nursing home. We spent some time at the YMCA, um, hanging out with, with kids who are part of their um, child care program, uh, which is kind of a, a lower income child care program for, uh, for people who, who can't necessarily afford it other places. Uh, and so we spent some time in an assisted living facility. And, and so a, a lot of our trip was really spent on, on relational things. In fact, we have a video that's going to play at the end, and you will see a lot of the visuals of our, our manual labor, and that's because we couldn't take a camera into the nursing home or into the YMCA 
um, to get footage of the kids or the, the folks in the nursing homes. And so what I want to do today is I just wanted to bring some folks up to share their experience. I want, I want to paint a picture so that if you weren't with us on this trip, that when you leave today, you can feel what we felt and you can experience what we felt because we painted a picture for you. Because I can tell you this, God did something in the lives of the people who went on this trip that goes beyond the impact we may have had on the people who were there. And I believe this. I believe that that same impact and experience that God gave us by going to serve in this area is an experience that God wants each of us at Compass to have. Our mission is to make God accessible to everyone. And last week, our mission was to go make God accessible to the people in Pikeville and in the county there. But our mission as a church is to make God accessible to everyone in our community. And I believe this. I believe that what we're going to talk about today has implications for how we as a church are going to continue to make a difference here where we are. And so I'm going to have some folks come up and share their stories. And we're going to start first with Jen Harmon. Um, She has a very, very cool story um, about how God used her skills and her her abilities in ways that she didn't anticipate on this trip. So will you welcome Jen? Hi. So I went to a home of Linda and Jimmy, and Jimmy is confined to a wheelchair from some of his disabilities, and Linda is his only caretaker. And Linda was showing us around her house. Um, she needed a roof replaced and um, a wheelchair, um, fixed, her wheelchair ramp um, fixed. And um, as she was walking us around, she mentioned that she hadn't had her hair done in a while and not to look at her. And my ears perked up because I'm a hairdresser. And I thought, well, we can, we can fix that for you. And she was all excited. And so the next day we came back um, with some hair color and scissors. And um, she had told her neighbor that she was going to get her hair done. And so her neighbor showed up as well. And um, we set up shop in her kitchen, and she was just sitting there enjoying it. And, she, um, and Linda said, you know, I'm not going to want to go to uh, sleep tonight because I don't want to get my hair messed up. And um, Carmela said, well, honey, you just enjoy it for today. And, um, and so they had a great time getting their hair done, and I felt very blessed to do that for them. Um, I think one of the things that I learned from the trip was that um, God just wants me to show up and say yes to him, and he will use um, my talents. Um, This morning, I was reflecting on that and um, asked God, you know, why did um, you use me in that way? I could have been doing something um, else besides that. And he just said to my heart, you know, I'm in the details, too. And so I thought it was awesome that he... He cares about us all the way to the hairs on our head. So there's a, there's a theme that you're probably going to hear a little bit um, today, and it was a theme that we picked up on our trip from the people who were kind of organizing down there, and that is, that is the theme of dignity. A lot of times when you go on trips like this, uh, you can kind of see the need, and you can see the need beyond the people, or you can define the people by the need, and they become dropped into this category. And one of the things that we talked about a lot was recognizing the fact that, that one of the most important things that we can offer in loving people is to recognize and give them dignity of humanity. And, and so as, as that team was serving and painting that, you know, the, the deck and fixing the roof, just something as simple as, as a haircut and a color job. Uh, it was just such a power. In fact, that was the thing that people were talking about most when they came back. They're like, yeah, we fixed the roof and painted the deck, but we did a lady's hair, you know? <laughs> 
So anyway, thank you, Jen. Uh, I'm going to have Jared come up next, and he's going to share uh, some of his experiences uh, on the trip as well. So will you guys welcome Jared. So I got a couple stories. Um, the first one comes um, from when we went to the nursing home. I feel like I'm not centered. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, um, the first story came on the second day we were at the nursing home. So, both days, I was in the room where they played bingo. And um, there were two ladies that my mom, Dee Shifflett, and Michelle Nelson were talking to. And I was over talking to another guy, getting to know him, just shooting the breeze with him. And one of the ladies over by where they were talking um, said that she was a Spanish interpreter. And for those of you that don't know, I speak French. So that immediately, like, I was focused in on his conversation, but I was also focused in on, oh, okay, what's this lady going to say about her interpreting experience? So, um, and so I would sneak glances over there, and one of the other ladies um, that they were talking to, her name was Linda, um, I went over there after my guy had left, and she, she told me, you're just so darn cute. I could not take it when you looked over at me. I just had to shy away. <laughs> and I'm like, well, thank you, I guess. <laughs> um, but then the other lady... Um, she had a very moving story for me. Um, she recently had a botched quadruple bypass. And uh, this lady was 42 years old, confined to a wheelchair. Like, I, I felt so bad for her. And she said that she was in the middle of a lawsuit with um, whoever did the operation and said that once I get the money from that lawsuit, I'm going to have a caretaker and I'm going to be able to go home to my husband. And um, we asked her, well, how often does your husband come and visit? And she said, every day. We are in contact every single day. We, I couldn't love him more now than I could. Like, it was just, it was so moving because in such a tough situation like that and for her to have faith that God was going to pull through for her and she was going to be okay, I was, it was just, it gives me chills even thinking about it. But um, it just was so moving to see the fact that and even in the midst of this bad situation, in the midst of all this negativity surrounding her, she stayed positive and knew that she was going to come out on the other side of it. Um, and then the second story comes from um, one of our service projects. We went out and painted the back of a church building. Next to that church building, there was a food bank. And it was, like, that's my mom's heart is food banks. And I grew up volunteering at Midwest Food Bank. And just, um, and I knew immediately as soon as they said food bank, I'm like, that's my mom. There she goes. And um, we noticed that um, they were out of food and didn't, their storage facility was empty. They had tons of clothes laid out on tables. But, um once people, once we saw how bare they were with their food, we jumped in, and uh, my mom, Danielle, Michelle, tons of people 
stepped up and said, yes, let's go get food for this place. And we stocked them. Like, there were six carts full of food. And I don't know how we fit it all in the van, to be honest. But because it was a 12-passenger van, and it was like we were already sitting three to a seat. And so we were sitting um, on top of cans, and, you know, stuff was under the seats. Like, it was every little nick and cranny that we had in this van was filled with food. And so um, it's, it was so powerful for me because, you know, having food is something that I take advantage of. It's not something where I'm like, oh, what am I going to eat tonight? Where is my next meal going to come from? And it was so powerful for me to see that even something as simple as going out and purchasing food for those people in that community gave them hope. And that's, I mean, that's, that was my takeaway was just spreading the hope I mean, don't, don't overcomplicate it, I guess. But, <laughs> but yeah, so those are my two takeaways. So um, thank you again. One of the cool things about this trip is we had a lot of young people on it, a bunch of teenagers, which we really needed because, like, if not, we just spend us old people, like, get, drinking our decaf and going to bed at 8 o'clock every night. Um, but the teenagers really kept us alive, and they kept us going, you know, playing stupid games all night. Uh, so we're going to have my daughter Cameron up. She's going to talk about kind of her experience um, from the perspective of one of the younger people on the trip. So welcome, Cameron. Yeah, so overall, I had a really wonderful experience, and I have two stories to share. Um, The first one was at the nursing home, and it was in the afternoon, and my dad told me before we went, he's like, hey, you should just bring your guitar in case, you know, they want to hear you play anything. Um, So we got there, and I was feeling kind of nervous, because, like, I really like doing things well, and I don't like getting up and doing something, like, kind of halfway or kind of poorly, um, and I only knew, like, one old hymn that they would know, and that, that's it as well. So I sang that, and it was fine, and they loved it. Um, but then one of the nurses pulled out a hymnal, and she flipped to Amazing Grace. And did you know that there are five verses to Amazing Grace? Because I did not know that. <laughs> but so they wanted to hear that. So I just guessed the chords, and I sang it. And, dude, like, there were probably about seven or eight um, we were in the dementia ward, seven or eight residents in the, like, common area, and they were just singing out, like, as loud as they could, and man, like, there were, a lot of them knew every word to every verse, and I just thought it was kind of crazy how, like, these people that have this disease that causes them to forget their loved ones, like, important memories and their family members, but yet they could remember all of the words to Amazing Grace, and it was, it was very powerful, and it's a beautiful song. You should totally listen to it. Um, But then, so after we were done singing that song, there was this lady named Tangie who came up to me, and she asked me if I knew, I can't remember what she asked. It was an old, older hymn, and I told her, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry. I don't, I don't know that, but would you like to hear some newer songs that we do at my church? And she was real excited about that, and so I ended up getting out my guitar, and I sang some newer songs, and, like, she had a hard time hearing, so she was very, like, this was how far she was for me. I was, like, like, face-to-face, very up close and personal. Never done that before, but um, this, the first song I sang, I ended up singing, like, seven or eight songs, but the first song I sang was Reckless Love, and one of the lines in the verses says, 
you have been so, so good to me. And there was a man in a wheelchair sitting next to me in Tangy, and he just was raising his hands, and he was like, God has been so good to me, and his mercies are so good. And it was just so wonderful to see people who were just in such a rough situation just still able to, like, embrace just the goodness of God. And it was it was very beautiful. And Tangie, when we had to leave, she was like, oh, will you write down write down all the songs? She's like, I'm, I had a stroke. I'm going to forget them. You you better write them down. And then, and she's like, I'm going to get it on a tape. So one of the nurses said she would download it for her so that we're all good. So, and this next story happened more towards the end of the trip. And it happened um, when we bought the food for the little food bank. Um, and we were there. We stocked the food bank. We bought all the food. And then we folded all the clothes. And the people there served us lunch. Um, but there was an older lady that came in, and she was there taking clothes and food. And I, I kept, like, mistaking her for someone who worked there. So I kept asking her questions, and she was like, honey, I don't work here. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and then we sat down, and we ate lunch. And she was sitting across from me, and she didn't really want to talk very much. She was kind of quiet, but um, when we talked about high school and stuff, she told me that she had a 14-year-old granddaughter who's going into high school and was terrified. So I was talking to her about that, um, about my freshman year. And she stops and she asks me, she says, do you know anyone who does construction? And I thought that was funny because, like, our group, like, experience missions, like, that's what they do. They do construction stuff. So I told her, yeah, and I had her write down her contact information and stuff, and I gave it to our leaders. And then she opened up and told me that... um, she needs construction done because four years ago, her husband passed away um, of lung cancer, and the house has just kind of fallen apart, and she's a little old lady. She can't fix it, and so the insurance company came and did a reinspection and said they weren't going to insure the house, so she's just been without insurance for like four years and just been living in poverty and can't make very much money. Um, So we we prayed about that, and that was a really good experience. Had to write her name down so that I can keep praying for her by name. But then she told me that her older son, um, their relationship is strained, and they're not on speaking terms because he had a brain injury that messed with his aggression. And so anytime she would say no or um, she would do something he didn't want, he would get violent, and he one time punched her in the face. Um, And so... We prayed about that as well, but it was just very powerful because, honestly, I wasn't expecting to have an interaction like that. I was kind of expecting, like, oh, we're going to fill the food bank, and it's going to be awesome, and we're going to feel good, but just that one-on-one interaction with somebody I wasn't expecting, and, like, we got to see somebody who needed the resources of the food bank come in, and because we, like, shelled out money and we were generous with what we had, like, she was able to benefit from that and experience God. It was really awesome. All right, up next we, um, is um, we're going to have our missions coordinator. She's our missions CEO for Compass Church. Um, and so she's going to come up and kind of share her experience. She did a killer job on the trip. We, we could not have done it without her. So will you welcome Barbie Plankinorn? Thank you so much. Um, so I just want to share just like how 
I'm overwhelmed. Like, my team makes fun of me because I'm so emotional because I'm so super proud of each individual um, that went on this uh, trip with us. And just got, this is something that God birthed in me just a few years ago, actually when we were at the women's conference that we go to each year. Um, and they were speaking on missions. And I was telling Chris that I, in my notebook from when I was there, I just wrote missions trip, question like a big question mark, um, and then just other things, like other details. I wasn't really sure about anything. And so it was all these question marks that I wasn't sure. And so um, just the fact that God birthed a dream inside of me and then um, just kind of seeing it come to fruition. And this is only the beginning of it. Um, and I just feel so blessed and so honored and so proud and thankful for um, each person on this trip and just their hearts just to kind of do whatever God asks of us and just to be willing. Um, and something that I shared in first service is that nothing is insignificant that we do. Um, we might feel like, you know, what am I going to do on a trip like this? I don't have anything to give. But I shared the example of um, my son. He's a little shy until you get to know him. And then he is the life of the party. And we had a blast. But when he doesn't know someone, he's shy. He's a little bit reserved. And so going into the nursing homes um, was a little bit nervous. And uh, just watching him just sit down with a woman. And um, so he sits down. And he just kind of looks at her, and then he just kind of looks back. And you could tell he was nervous, so sweet. And he looks back again, and he's like, hey, I'm Jack. And she says, hi, I'm Mary. And then he's like, do you want a, a prayer square? And he, she's like, sure. And so he gives her the prayer square that uh, Dee had made. And it might seem to him like, who, like that was nothing. But these individuals in this nursing home, um, a lot of them feel forgotten and that um, they're unloved. And so just that little bit of kindness is huge. And um, we had multiple examples of that and just us um, just hugging these individuals and telling them that we loved them. And it's all special and it makes them feel that they are seen and that they are loved. We had one um, woman, her name was Nellie. She was the cutest little thing and uh, she had Alzheimer's. And so she um, would tell us the same story over and over for about 45 minutes. She told us the story and each time she would repeat it, she would remember a new detail um, and she would add that in. But um, she said about seven or eight times. So the story was um, that this one, so she's stuck in this time frame, right, in her life, and we um, gathered that maybe she was, like, uh, early teenager, because she did have a boyfriend, so I'm thinking like that, but, um, like, she still called her mom and dad, mommy and daddy, so it was hard, and I did ask her, how old were you when this happened, and she says, I'm as big as I am now, and so she wasn't really able to say how old she was, but her story, it was Christmas, and she had gotten a card from her older sister and her husband. And um, over and over, she kept coming back to the line in the card where it said, Nellie, I'm so glad you use my baby sister. And she kept saying that and getting emotional every time she would say that. And I just got so emotional because here I go. It's just, it's fine. <laughs> Because it just spoke to me like the part that she was so moved by was her sister telling her just how much she loved her and that she remembered that, you know, in this time where she might feel 
invisible and unloved, but that was most important to her. And so that's what we were there to do, was just to love. Um, And we weren't there to fix any problems. We were just there to extend the love of God. And so um, nothing is insignificant. Every single little thing that we can do to show kindness or to see an individual Um, that's God's love, and that's what he wants for us. And um, so I'm just so excited. I know that there were so many things that were birthed inside of each one of us to not leave it there but to bring it back to where we are today. Um, And so you don't have to go on a missions trip to be able to be used by God, but I think that there's something so special about when we get away from our everyday Um, We don't have the same responsibilities that we might have here, that our eyes and our hearts are able um, just to be opened and to see from a different perspective, um, but then in turn to bring that back to where we live and what can we do in our community. And I know that one thing for me um, is maybe possibly starting like a small group that goes into our local nursing homes. Um, Another thing that we talked about was there's a church here that feeds the homeless and just things that are simple, you know, but if we're just willing um, to do those things, God can do great things um, through us. And so, again, super proud of our team. Thank you, guys. Thank you for you guys that prayed for us. We felt the prayers. Um, We had the most amazing, like, travel. We didn't have any issues. Um, Everyone was healthy. We all got along. Like, we were saying 25 people and, like, different people and different age groups and, um, We just all loved on each other and just no drama or fighting or anything like that, which is, to me, a miracle. Um, But so, no, you know what I mean? Like, you know. So anyways, we just felt your prayers. You were with us. And um, thank you so much for all of your support. So Rich Holm talked to me, and he said it this way. He's, he went on the trip, and, and he said, I, I didn't really have any expectation for the trip, or maybe his expectations were a little low. And, and uh, he said the, the win of the trip for him coming out of it, why it was such a good experience, wasn't necessarily what we were doing, but who we were doing it with. And so there was definitely this aspect of, of relational connection and going as a church to serve and, and impact people's lives. It was very powerful. Um, I'm going to share two stories just to wrap up. Uh, just kind of take this home, just to kind of share what it was like for us, and maybe just even to apply, like, what can, what, what can we do next? Not just those of us who are on this team, but what can we as a church do next together? So we talked, we've talked a lot about the nursing home, and I'll kind of start there. Uh, there was a day that our group went to the nursing home, and we ended up on the fifth floor, which was the dementia ward. And so it's, I mean, there, you can't, you got to buzz in because they can't have the doors be opened to people there. Uh, it, it's what it looks like. And there's this common area where during the day they bring everyone out or anyone who wants to come out. And there was a table there and around the table were about six or seven people and they're all in wheelchairs and there's coloring pages so they can color and there's a TV up in the corner. And, in, and honestly, in many ways, um, the, the people, particularly on this ward, but really throughout the home, they, they treat them like children uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think that's in part because it's just what they need, the structure and the direction. And it's just kind of, kind of where they're at right at, at this time in their lives. And so we went in and we were hanging out and um, we all just kind of found a spot and found a person to kind of sit with and talk to. There was one lady named Ellie and we saw her several times. And as, as soon as you walked in, Ellie just perks up and like she, she starts doing this. 
to call people over. And she, she can't communicate very well. She just has a big smile. She doesn't really talk. Um, but I, I went in and I, and I met her. I, I saw her name on, a, on something that she was, something somebody was drawing for her. And I sat down with her. And as soon as I sat down, she just grabbed my hand in a death grip. And the entire time that I was with her, she would not let go. And, uh, and so I, I was just kind of asking her questions and, you know, saying I'd drawn her pictures because she couldn't really communicate. Uh, and there's a point where I kind of put my arm around her to give her a hug because I was going to move on to somebody else. And as soon as I put my arm around her, she just grabbed onto me with a death grip. And uh, she did not want to let go. And honestly, that was the experience of everyone who sat by Ellie. Jeff Hersey spent a lot of time with her that afternoon. And I, mean, I kid you not, man, she was on him, like white on rice. I mean, she, she just did not want to let go. Uh, but I, I kind of bounced up from Ellie, and I went over to another lady named Lily who had just been wheeled in. And uh, I'm not sure if she'd had a stroke, uh, but she couldn't, she couldn't talk very well. And she tried to, but you really, it was, she was very hard to understand. She was um, bound to the wheelchair, so she couldn't stand up or walk. And, and uh, she, was, she was older. Uh, and so I went down and introduced myself, and I asked her name. And, and the, one of the staff members told me her name was Lily, and she tried to say it as well. And, and I'm just trying to make, like, small talk. You know, I'm, I don't, I'm like, let's just what do you like to do for fun, you know, and, and, because and I'm thinking, what do you like to do here, do you like to color, do you like to watch TV, what's your favorite thing to do here in the home, and she's like, she said, I, I ride horses, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure you're not riding horses in the home, but, um, so, and I'm just like, oh, that's great, what kind of horses, and she's just, you know, I, I had horses when I was a little girl, and she's telling about her, her, when she was a girl, and again, like, in a lot of ways, she was there, like, that's kind of where, where she was, and she kept talking about horses and repeating herself a lot, and, and, and she, again, just, I put my hand on her wheelchair, and she's grabbed it, and she just held onto my hand the entire time that I was there, and, and in fact, one of the, one of the staff members, ladies, walked by, and she's like, oh, Lily, you like him, don't you, and she's like, yes, <laughs> And she's like, yeah, you're kind of cute on him. You're flirting with him, aren't you? And she goes, I'll make him happy. <laughs> Which is weird that, like, that was very clear. You could clearly understand that that's what she was saying. <laughs> and the staff lady, she's like, well, Lily, he's married. She's like, I don't care. <laughs> so I have that effect. <laughs> and so my, my son, Calvin, who's 14, he came in. And, uh, and, and, and I introduced him to Lily, and she just kind of turned to him, and, and she just grabbed his hand, and she's, she, he's talking to her, and, and she tells him she likes straight horses. And it was funny, he's like, Calvin's talking to her. He's like, you know, he's like, yeah, I like to play video games, and I do this, and he's just on this conversation. I was like, I, you know, I was like, do you know your ABCs? I was just being real simple, and, and he's just talking, and I know she doesn't understand a word of what he's saying. But she has this huge grin on her face. And you could tell that she's just holding his hand. As he was just talking to her, she was just overjoyed. And just this was light. And, and you could see this life kind of come back into her eyes that you just didn't see in many of them before. Because like, as, as I walked through the nursing home, even just you know, going up and down the stairs, what I saw often just looking through windows or passing by were just people sitting in wheelchairs just in just random corners of the nursing home. And the staff there was great. They were amazing. And I don't want to take anything away from them. They're under-resourced financially, under-resourced with people. And, uh, and, and I'm, there was one lady who I walked in the front door, and she was just sitting in her wheelchair just by the front door. And I said hi and talked to her and I came back. I, every time I passed up and down between for like an hour and a half, every time she was just there. And that was, that was her day, just sitting in her wheelchair by the front door. 
And so, so Calvin's talking to Lily, and she's smiling, and she's obviously so happy, and she's grabbing his hand. And, and it was time for us to go, and Calvin says, would you like a hug? And she's like, yes. And so he hugs her, and she just death grip, right, just holds on him so tight. And it was like, you know those types of hugs where you hug someone, and you're like, this is nice, this is nice. And it's like, okay, now it's uncomfortable because it's just gone a little too long. It was totally that, but it was okay. And, and so Calvin left, and I gave her a hug, and it was the same thing. And you could just see when we were leaving that there was this, like, it was almost a feeling of panic as we left, as we were walking out. And you could, this, this feeling that, like, we were there, and we were for them. We were talking and engaging them. We were loving them. But as we left, just like, don't go, don't go, don't go. In fact, um, we, we went downstairs, and we got back in the van, and half of our team uh, were missing somewhere in the building. In fact, we found out later they were with Nellie, the lady who liked to talk for a long time. <laughs> we just didn't know. Uh, and so, so I walked, I went out of the van, and I ran back up through the whole building to try and find where our team was um, so we could get back on our schedule. And I went back up to the dementia ward where we'd come from, and I peeked in the window, and all the people who we were just engaging with, who were smiling, and they were all just kind of back into their nursing home mode, uh, you know, just sitting in their chairs, looking up at the wall, looking out the window, looking at the TV. And uh, I, I went in the door, and I went over to the, the, the nurse's counter, and I just asked if they knew where our team was, and they didn't. And so I was, gonna, I was walking back to the door to go out the stairs, and there was Ellie sitting in her chair. She saw me, and she puts both of her arms out like this, and she calls me over. And so I went over, and I was like, oh, she wants a hug. And, and I go down, and I give her a hug, and she grabs onto me extremely tight. And this was, a, this was a woman who really hardly said anything the whole time we were there. And she held on to me in my ear. She says, don't go. Please don't leave. And I was just, I just broke. I was just like, oh. And I said, and I didn't know what to say. We weren't going to come back. This was our last day at the nursing home. And I said, you know, it's going to be okay. Someone's going to be back. Don't worry. We love you. It's going to be all right. And I kind of like, you know, how you extricate yourself from someone who's trying to hug you. And it's like their hands go down your arms and just down to my hands. And I was like, it's going to be okay. We love you. It's going to be okay. And I let her go. And, and I went down the stairs just devastated because this, was, this is her life. And I, and I realized that, that for the people who are in this home, some of them were very old at the ends of their lives. Some of them, um, like the one Jared talked about, 42 years old, just had a medical mishap that happened that put her in this place. Most of them had no family or children uh, to care for them, no money, no resources. And this is just kind of where they're going to live out the rest of their days. And as I left, I was just thinking about what James said about true religion. And he said that, that true religion is caring for orphans and widows. And as we left, it's just like, these are modern-day widows, like in the old, in the, you know, in Bible times, thousands of years ago, you know, widows were, were people who, you know, husbands had died and they were just still alive and they had their kids and it was a very different thing. But like modern day, these are the people who are alone, no family left alone. But he also said that we need to care for orphans, modern day orphans. And so uh, the, the, that afternoon we went to the YMCA to hang out with some of the kids in their, their daycare program. And these are kids all the way from preschool up through elementary school. And so I went into the gym. I was a little late and everyone's there playing with the kids and they're playing basketball. I stink at basketball. I was like, I'm not doing that. I don't want to look like an idiot in front of these kids. So I saw over in the corner on the bleachers, there were two girls. One of them looked like a staff member, like an older teenager. 
And the other one looked like about a 10-year-old little girl, and neither of them were talking to anybody, and they just looked bored. And so I was like, I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to talk to that little girl. So I sat down, and I started joking around, and I started to get her laughing and goofing off. And then other kids started to come around as we started you know, laughing and goofing off and being stupid. I think that's a spiritual gift of mine, just being stupid. Um, and so we're just surrounded with all these kids, and we're making jokes and being dumb. And, but this girl who I thought worked there is just sitting over in the corner, and she's just not talking to a soul. Not talking to any kids, not engaging. So I kind of thought, is she like, is she here for community service or something? What, I mean, what? So I, I just want to know. So I asked, I said, hey, see, what's your name? She said, Jasmine. And I said, so do you work here? And she said, no. And I was like, oh, well, what, where, why are you here? And she's like, well, she's like, I go here. I was like, oh. And I, oh. <laughs> I was like, so how, how old are you? Because she was part of the daycare program. And I was like, how old are you? She said, I'm 15. And then she explained, she's like, I'm in, I'm, I'm in foster care. I, I'm, I have a foster family right now. And, and so I can't be home alone. And so I have to come here uh, because I'm in foster care. And so when she told me she was in foster care, we cared passionately about kids in foster care. And so I was, my ears perked up. And I, so I bribed all the other kids around us to leave. I said, tomorrow we'll bring back a ton of ice cream for everyone. If you all can all go make a basket. And so they all left and they were all shooting baskets. And I scooted over and I, so I asked Jasmine, I was like, so that must, that must be really hard for you. How long have you been in foster care? She said, well, I got taken away from my biological mom uh, just a little over a year ago. And I was like, wow, that must be really hard for you. And she said, yeah, it, it was really bad. I said, really? And I, I mean, I, I was probing a little bit, but she's just kind of, she started talking and she said, yeah, she's like, it was, it was really bad for a long time. And she's like, there's sexual abuse. And then she stops and she's like, she's had that face where of someone who's trying not to cry. You know what I mean? Where it's like, you are not going to come out of my eyeball tear, you know, is that? And so, um, she stopped after seeing their sexual abuse. And so I just kind of changed the subject a little bit. And I asked about what her foster family was like and how she'd gotten there. And, and she said, well, she said, I, I was in family care first. They, they took me and my younger brother and sister, uh, which was interesting because I'd been goofing off with her younger brother and sister. I didn't know they were related at the time. And so they took me and my younger brother and sister out. And, and first they put us with my grandmother. Uh, but my grandma couldn't take care of us because she has a nephew that she's taking care of who's disabled, which is very common in this area. Um, there's a lot of, of older women who seem to be caring for their disabled um, children or grandchildren. I met another lady who had the exact same situation. Her husband had died of lung cancer as well. He worked in the mines. Uh, and so she raised all four of her grandchildren on her own as well. Uh, and so she, uh, Jasmine said she stayed with her grandmother, but, but she couldn't take care of them. So they moved over to her cousin or a cousin, uh, and she said, and he kicked us out because he said I was difficult. And I looked at her, and I was like, I was like, you know, Jasmine, I can understand why it might be really difficult for you. I mean, you've gone through things no one should have to go through, and I understand how, like, it might be hard for you to, like, be moved around. And I, said, I can understand how that might be difficult. And she said, yeah. And so um, then she's, she's currently living with a foster family right now. And so then at this point, I kind of quickly changed the subject. And I was like, okay, I'm going to use my spiritual gift. And I'm just going to make her laugh and just be stupid. And so then I did. And it's just, we just goofed off and laughed. And all the other kids came around. And, and we just had fun for the rest of the day. But, but like Jasmine just stuck with me. And, and, and we got in the van and we were driving home. And I was probably uncharacteristically quiet because I was just like in my mind on all this thing. And I was just, I was like this girl um, who's 15 years old, and this is the other, she's 15, and she's going into the eighth grade, 
because when she was growing up for the 13 years that she lived in the home with her biological mom, who had boyfriends coming in and coming out, uh, abusing the kids, um, that she didn't go to school. And so 15-year-old going into eighth grade, I was just like, how can we, how can we just let her know she's special? How can we do something for this, this girl? And so we, we went to Walmart. We, we had to come back and bring ice cream to the kids because I bribed them, and I'm a man of my word. But... But at Walmart, I actually called my wife, and I was like, I want to do something nice for this girl. What, what could we buy? What could we do that would just tell a teenage girl that she's special and that, you know, we care about her? And Terry was like, some soft, fluffy socks, maybe? And which I asked some of the teenage girls on our trips, and they're like, heck yeah, fluffy socks. That'd be awesome. So we went to Walmart, and it was when, and when we were buying stuff for the food pantry as well. We went to Walmart, and I just kind of separated with Ariel, who's a teenage girl, so she could help me out. And we bought a backpack, and we bought a super soft blanket, and we bought some chocolate, and we bought a Bible and a devotional book. But I couldn't just give her a Bible and a devotional book because she's a teenager. And what teenager's like, yay, a Bible, you know? So, um, and then Ariel picked out a bracelet she could put in there, and uh, we had some, some other like Beanie Babies and other stuff like that, and we put all of this stuff in the back, some hair ties, just stuff, just stuff that a teenage girl would like, and we put it in there, and then I bought a card, and that, that night at dinner, I sat down with the card, because to me, the most important thing was not just to give her stuff, but was to give her stuff in the context of we see you and we care, so in the card, I just wrote, I said, Jasmine, thank you so much for sharing your story with me. I know it took a lot of courage, and I, uh, I am so honored that you were willing to, to share um, your life with me. And I want you to know that what you went through, you didn't deserve it. No one should ever have to walk through that. And I also want you to know this, that we see you and, and that God sees you and that God loves you. And so do, so do we. And that even though, you know, we live far away and even though we, you know, we just met, you have a family with God and you have a family with us. And it's like, I just want you to know that you are not alone. And then I signed it, Pastor Chris and the Compass team. And then I put Bloomington, Illinois in parentheses so that she could look us up on, you know, the internet in case she wanted to reach out or whatever. Uh, so we brought that back the next day, and I gave her the bag. And she didn't open it immediately. She opened it a little bit later. Didn't even give any indication about how she felt about it because she was really just kind of closed off. But what was super cool, and this is kind of our teenagers being there, uh, in the gym that afternoon, after she'd opened it, um, Cameron and Trinity, my kids, Jake Tucker and Ariel, um, all, all teenagers were hanging out with her that whole afternoon and they were talking to her and, and just hanging out with her, being, being young people with her. And, and Cameron shared the story that she was asking her what she liked to do. And she said, she, she, Cameron's like, do you like to read? Because she had a book with her and she said, yeah, I like to read. And Cameron's like, what are you reading? And she said, well, I'm reading this book. And she held up a book and she's like, it's actually the only book I have. And so she's like, I just kind of read it over and over again um, when I finish it. And, and Cameron shared that with me. And I felt really good about, I felt really good about us trying to t- let her know how special she was and let her know how, how cared for she was. But like just thinking about her life, thinking about what she's walked through. And not only that, thinking about the fact that God has called us, that true religion, our faith is lived out by caring for orphans. And who are modern day orphans? Kids in the foster care system. Who are the widows? The women and men who are living at the end of their lives in nursing homes and don't have any family. And that that was what we did there. And the craziest thing was this, is that our time there uh, was, you know, we, we saw the projects we saw. You know, we showed up and it's like, well, man, we could have done all of this at home. And that was the point. Is that we went down there and we, we experienced these things and we saw these things in places that we haven't been here. 
so that when we do come home, now we can recognize we have orphans and widows and people in need and people who we can care for and make God accessible to and demonstrate the love of Jesus to right here in our own community. And, and for me, the takeaway from this trip is this. It's not that we got to go and do nice things for people somewhere else and come back and feel good about ourselves. It's that we got to go and experience things and that we can come and bring those back and say, how do we do this here? Because it shouldn't have to wait for a $500 missions trip to make a difference in somebody's life. And we shouldn't have to drive eight hours to go to a nursing home to love someone who's in desperate need of love when there is, there is a nursing home right here in our community that is full of people who are waiting for it now. And God forbid that there's some church eight hours from here that should have to get in their vans and drive to our community and love on the people in that nursing home because we are failing at doing it. God has called us to make his love accessible to every corner of our community, to every person here. And we shared these stories because my goal, I wanted you to experience this and feel it so that it was as if, as if you were there. Because I want you to feel that same urgency and takeaway that we felt on this trip, even without having to go there. That there are things that God may be calling you and equipping you to do, whether you are on the team that went or whether you aren't on the team that went. And that as his church... We can go and we can impact people like Jasmine right here in our community. And we can impact and love people like Lily and Ellie right here in our community. And we can be the church that stands up as a light in a dark place. And we don't have to wait. We can do it right now. So as I close, the question I would just want to ask, and I want you to ask yourself, is this. What can I do to make God accessible to people who are on the fringes, on the edges, and in the dark corners of my community? What can I do? And I don't have an answer for you. I want you to wrestle with that question because I promise you this, as you do, God will open doors. God will create opportunities. And if there's any takeaway from this trip that everyone who went on it can tell you, and I would encourage you, if you see anyone in the Appalachian Missions trip shirt, um, ask them about their trip. There's a million more stories. But if there's anything that we took away from it and anything that we learned, it is definitely this. It's that there is nothing greater than the feeling of satisfaction and joy and fulfillment that comes from when you serve and you love someone the way that we had the opportunity to do this week. So how can we do that here in our context every day? Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for what you did on this trip. Thank you, God, for the lives that were impacted. And we pray, God, that you would continue to move in them. God, that you would raise up people to develop long-term relationships with the people in the nursing home and the kids at the Y there. God, because, because we can't, because we're so far away, because of our distance. And I pray, Jesus, that for us, for here, that you would open our eyes, give us perspective and eyes to see what's happening here around us so that we can begin going in, into our community and treating our community like a mission trip every single day. Father, help us to see the opportunities and to take them, to serve and to love the way that we were able to serve and love in Kentucky and, and the way that you served and loved Jesus when you were here walking this earth. And allow us, God, help us to make you more accessible to people who feel like they have no access to you, God. And in doing so, transform and change lives in our community. We love you, Lord. We pray it all in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.